Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. And I'm Kristen. I'm Julie. Yeah, and today we've got Julie checking back in with us. We talked to you many months ago when you were just starting your developer career. And so we're going to catch up with you and talk about leveling up and getting all the cool experience and leveling your character and getting all the cool magic items and that kind of stuff. Wait, that's the wrong game. Anyway, we'll talk about that and have some fun. So Julie, how was your week? Work is adding Apple SSO. And it was such a long process for me because I don't really deal much with authentications. And then also just like a brand new area that I had to research and do. And yeah, it was a great learning experience. And just last week, I presented to our engineering team some of my learnings and some of the bugs that I came across and how I went and solved those things. And I think it turned out well. Personal wise, we're kind of dealing with a issue with our dishwasher. It had been leaking for a while and that while could be months, it could even be years. Unfortunately, there's possibly some damage underneath the Ooh. laminate floors. The process hasn't started yet, but we're probably going to have to demo part of our kitchen just to like get to wherever the water got to. Oh, ouch. <laughs> oh, I feel that having gone through some fun flooding issues recently in my house. But hey, let's not call it demo. Let's call it remodel. Then it's more fun, yeah. right? So we talked to you September, October, something like that, when you were just getting into your dev career. And as I recall, you were coming out of pharmacy work. Yeah, I was a pharmacist for a while. And then I decided I wanted to step down and be with my children. So when I had kids, I quit, stayed with them for a few years. And then during that time, I was like, what do I want to do? And then I decided to learn programming because a friend of mine said that they loved their job so much and they were a software engineer and I wanted to figure out what they love so much about it. I can totally understand why they love their job so much because I love just trying to figure out how to solve these problems and it's mm -hmm. fun. And sometimes problems can be challenging and it's even more fun and then more rewarding when you figure it out. Anyway, I can't remember when the last time we chatted, but that must have been... A couple of months after I started Ruby for All. Yeah. And yeah, I also, I also don't really remember what we chatted about the last time I was on the show. Chatted about that. And we chatted about the way that you learned dev and how to get into dev and how to start your career with it and what you were kind of going through then. So I'm kind of interested to catch up and see how have you progressed your career? How have doing the things like Ruby for All, and I know you went on kind of the round of cons the past couple of years, you've been doing some talks there. And, and I know public speaking, like many of us, is not your most favoritist thing, <laughs> but you've been doing it. You've been stepping out there. So how have those kind of things kind of helped progress your career? And then lastly, kind of want to touch on as a junior level leveling up developer, how can senior developers kind of help you progress your career? What kind of things can they do to kind of help you through that kind of stuff. So first off, how have things been going? I mean, was development everything that you were hoping it would be as a career? I would say development was not everything I expected because there's a lot more to development than just sitting there and coding. Because mm -hmm. when I was learning, that's basically all I did. I mean, aside right. from the tutorials, it was a lot of coding. But at work, it's more of collaborating with other people and working with different departments. Like you have 
designs, you have product, you have customer support when issues arise. So there's just a lot of different aspects to coding. And I think it's been going really well because I still really much enjoy what I'm doing. And I think there's a lot of different parts that I can always improve on. For example, there's a lot of documentation that I didn't realize I would need to do. A lot of writing out things that I worked on or updating documents internally. So I bring up ChatGPT a lot on the podcast, but sometimes <laughs> I use ChatGPT to help me craft certain things to write out just because like my own writing doesn't sound quite as nice. <laughs> well, I mean, nothing um, wrong with using the tools that you've got. That's part of being a programmer is finding the right tools for the job. No? Fair. And then there's a lot of collaboration. I mean, the collaborating will vary drastically, I'm sure, between different companies and the way people work, because there are people who prefer to work solo and that's fine mm -hmm. for them. And I prefer to work with other people. I think it helps keep me focused and just I learn so much from pairing with other people. Cool. So where are you kind of at in your career now? I mean, you're not an entry level dev anymore, but I would say that I don't think you would call yourself a senior dev yet. So where do you think you are and where are you trying to get to? Kind of specifically, what things are you interested in pursuing through the career? I want to say that I'm forever entry level. <laughs> like, I feel like I'll <laughs> always be a junior. And I hear a lot of folks say the same thing. But yeah, now that I have almost two years behind me, I do feel like I'm able to answer questions that people have, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm also able to have a mentee for someone who's starting out and I can help with wherever I can. Like, for example, one of my mentees wanted to get into open source and I kind of had that experience of open source. So I helped her get situated and cut up so that she can make her first pull request. Nice. I get a lot of satisfaction when I'm helping other people learn. So do you kind of feel that same thing? You enjoy being the mentor and helping people kind of put the light bulbs on? I do, even though she did all the work and all I did was kind of guide her in certain directions. I feel like I helped her get there and it just feels really nice. Like I helped somebody do something. Yeah. And it's very rewarding. I think you're honestly helping a lot more people than you know, because you do these shows and these talks. So, Julie, I really appreciate the fact that you stepped into putting yourself out in public with doing the Ruby for all. And you've done some talks at some cons. And that's a big step for most people to take. Getting in front of a microphone is an extraordinarily intimidating thing for people. When you came on the first time, we had some kind of pre-show chat. We were talking about how it's kind of nerve wracking doing this, especially like a live show and stuff. And you were telling me you were nervous and I was telling you, yeah, so am I. And I've been doing this for years, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I will say you seem like you're a lot more comfortable in front of a microphone now. Does it feel that way? No. <laughs> no. I, <laughs> I was going to say I'm extremely nervous still. I'm Every single time I record a podcast episode, that nerve's still there. It does ease a little bit, but especially when we have a guest, I feel like I tend to get even more nervous. So remember when I was saying that 
I like development can be very collaborative and I actually enjoyed that increased collaboration. Yep. The podcast is not a solo thing. I have Andrew to help me there. And I feel like if he wasn't around, I, it never would have happened. It's not something that I would have done. And then also the talk that I did at RubyConf Mini, that was also kind of collaborated because I did a talk with Andrea Fumera. So I don't know that I would have done a talk just by myself. So the first question is, no, it has not helped my nerves doing (laughs) more of it. I think I am more likely to say, yes, I will do the thing versus before I might've said, I'm not sure. Cause I remember when you had reached out the very first time I was very hesitant and I feel like now I'm more like, okay, I'll do it, but I will still be nervous about it. And the second question, how has it helped me? I feel like being on Ruby for all has helped me ask questions when before I don't think I would have been able to, cause I'm too worried about what other people think. So it's kind of helping you open up to asking for knowledge and engaging people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to say that it helped me do that in a team setting. So one-on-one, especially if I'm comfortable with the other person, it's very easy for me to ask these questions, especially if I know they're not going to judge me for asking. There are some people that if I collaborate with them and I feel like they might judge, I still might not ask the question. But if it's a very supportive environment, then... I feel like I can ask my questions, but yeah, in a team setting, I'm less likely to open up and be like, Hey, is something, something, because I feel like now that there's more people watching or listening and Mm -hmm. I feel like better able to do that now, but also my team's very supportive. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, most of the teams I've been involved in the dev community are pretty supportive, but I completely understand that feeling of being intimidated and thinking, gosh, what are they going to say about me? Or are they going to think I'm not good enough to be a developer or, you know, the imposter syndrome thing? I will say, though, from a senior perspective, a really old senior perspective, that I actually enjoy and relish when juniors come in and ask me questions, even if they think they're simple, silly questions, because it makes me think about how I have to explain this to them. And so that even makes me a better programmer even after I've been doing this for a day or two, that (laughs) helps me explore and explain what I'm doing and think harder about what I'm doing. So I would say to juniors who are out there, don't be afraid to ask questions because in most cases, if you've got a senior who's any kind of smart, they'll realize that you're helping them too by asking those questions. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. So Seb asks, how did the podcast impact your career, which we just talked about? Do you feel like it sped it up or rather sacrifice an additional work you do over your regular programming? So is Mm, the podcast helping your career or kind of interfering with it? I will definitely say that it's helping my career 
being able to ask questions is one thing, but also being able to talk to some experts in the field and to other seniors has really helped me kind of understand concepts better. And being able to just ask openly, I don't know, a silly question on the fly. I don't know. I just feel like even if the concept that we talk about might not be completely related to what I'm doing at work currently, it's still relatable to development in general. And it helps me kind of see things in different perspectives. Definitely, it does take some time. However, I will say that now that we have Paul editing our podcast, I don't have to spend the time to edit it myself. So I really just show up and basically I would schedule guests. But other than that, we usually just show up and we don't even prepare ahead of time. Usually just if it's an expert, then we'll ask on the fly how things go. But that's just how Andrew and I run it. Some of them are planned depending on what it is that we want to talk about. But most of the time, it's just very kind of natural. Like just want it to be like what real people are. Yeah. So like sitting around in the coffee house chatting about dev stuff. Kind yeah. Of thing. Just like this. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the attitude I have too. I don't do any prep and I tell our guests, here's the general topic, but you don't need to prep. Just log in to Zoom at the right time and we'll chat. What really helped me feel even more comfortable with asking these questions is sometimes Andrew will give really good responses. And sometimes when he doesn't know the answer, he will be on the fly. Let's look it up right now and go over that. And I really appreciate that he does that. That was actually a good segue. You talking about him and how he's helping you be more comfortable with asking those questions. As a more junior developer, what would you say to senior developers that would help you learn better and progress your career? What kind of things can seniors do to kind of nurture you in the career? I think the number one thing for me, and I know I've already mentioned it, but being supportive, making it so that I'm really comfortable, able to ask those silly questions, I think really makes a huge difference because if I take two different seniors and let's say they're both very knowledgeable and they both can answer your questions, but if one of them Like if I am more comfortable with that senior, then I'll be able to ask more questions and without fear of, oh, I should know the answer to this. And so I'm not going to ask. And then maybe 15 minutes of the pairing session go by. And if I had just asked it, the other 15 minutes would have been a lot more meaningful. But because I didn't, then I don't know, I have to spend more time afterwards to try to figure it out and then maybe have to ask the senior outside of the pair, like, hey, what did you mean again by anyway? So I would say number one is to somehow make the other person feel comfortable, like never using words like, oh, that's easy, because to us, it's not that easy Yeah, (laughs) or something like, oh, yeah, you should know that or you should this or that. Those types of language could make someone feel less comfortable with admitting that you don't know something or admitting when you made mistakes. I think some of the things that seniors can try to help with making the other person feel comfortable is just talking about mistakes or learnings that they kind of come through or relating it in a way where it's like, oh, when I first started, I didn't know X, Y, Z. And even now I still don't know X, Y, Z, but I can know where to look, for example. And I think that would really help. I think it's also, and we've talked about this before on the show, but having a senior and a junior, I think it's very collaborative. So it's not just like, 
on the senior to be a certain way, but it's also up to the junior to talk to the senior about what, by the way, we don't like to use junior on the podcast anymore because we like to use the term early career dev. And so sometimes I keep switching back and forth because I forget, but the early career dev should also bring up maybe what they want to talk about or some of the things that they want to discuss, or even this is how I learn best. For example, if I like to pair, but I get really bored easily with watching someone else drive and I have to just sit there and listen and also watch, that might not be as helpful to me. So if I can drive and you can tell me what I need to do and then maybe explain things, then that might be better. And then also, I really like it when seniors ask me like a recap type of question, like to make sure I understood what happened in the process. And I know some people, they might comfortable doing that, but especially if I'm comfortable with them, having them ask me quiz questions helps to kind of solidify that knowledge. And I really like that. So cool. Yeah. Rebuilt. Hey, welcome to the stream. Rebuilt. How you doing? He says, what do you think about using pairing as a tool to accelerate your learning? I found that pairing helped me quickly become a better developer. I have a lot of recurring pairs on my calendar and I feel like through that, I have been able to kind of further along in my development career more than I would have if I were to do it solo. I just feel like there's so much I can learn from the other person. And then also what I use my pairing sessions for is to recap what I've been working on. And I found that when I try to relay what I've been working on, I found that there's gaps in knowledge of what I was working on or doing. And then I find like, oh, there's better ways of doing what I was doing. So it does take more time. I do feel that with my additional pairing sessions, I have less heads down time for work, but I think the benefits outweigh that. Well, I think you brought up something that I kind of touched on earlier, which is Somebody asking you questions makes you think harder about what you're doing and improve your performance. I'm a huge fan of pair programming. I think it's an extraordinarily beneficial thing, and I think it has long-term benefits, one of which is, yes, it may slow you down for that particular session, but it helps you write better, more maintainable code that's more understandable. And so in the long term, you end up making up a lot more time because it doesn't take you as long to progress that product and learn a lot faster. So I'm personally a huge fan of pair programming, but there's a lot of management that isn't a fan of pair programming because they look at the fact that, hey, I've got two programmers here I'm paying and doing one programmer's worth of work, they think, but that's just not the case I've found. So what things are you looking to do with your career in the future? What what kind of learnings do you want to do and how do you want to progress? Because there's a lot of different ways to progress in a dev career. Yeah, at some point I can't just keep saying I want to learn as much as I can because there's just so many things to learn. (laughs) Yeah, that's not possible. (laughs) (laughs) Here I would use my manager a lot and try to kind of help me figure out where my gaps are are and what it takes to go to the next level. So definitely use your manager. I use mine. I meet with mine every week. Also, it really helps if you're able to ask silly questions to your manager as well. So like mm-hmm. if, a man, if you're comfortable with your manager, 
I may have talked about 30, 60, 90 day goals previously. We now have like quarterly goals. So what I'm expected to complete each month for the quarter. Mm -hmm. And I just need to remember to keep looking at that document and making sure that I follow it. One of the items on there was to give a technical learning that I'm sharing with the company. And so that was the OAuth presentation I was discussing. So yeah, for someone who needs that, I actually need something where it's like specified goals that I can complete. I think one of my goals was also because I wanted to focus more on front end this time around. One of my goals was to pick up somewhere between one and three front end tickets to make sure that I'm consistent with working on front end stuff. As I progressed through my career, I found that especially early on, it was really hard to stay focused on a work task or something because there's so many cool, fun things to learn. And you go off into these different rabbit holes. Oh, that's cool. I want to learn how to do that. Now I want to learn how to do that. You know, when you've got a job, there's sometimes (laughs) you just got to stay focused and get the thing done that you're supposed to be doing. So that's a hard thing to do. Is that kind of what you're talking about is you kind of need that goal setting to help you stay focused so you don't get off in the rabbit holes? Yeah, I think also when it's not like clear instructions, then you're right. I will go everywhere. And especially if there's no deadlines, if there's not a specific deadline and it's very up in the air, then it's very hard for me to buckle down and do it. So yeah, having smart goals. And I actually went to ChatGPT and asked it, What would it take to level up? Like, give me a one-year goal setting. What can I do for each month? And then it wasn't very specific enough for me. So I was like, (laughs) apply the smart. Yeah, I I have fun talking to ChatGPT sometimes. But yeah, just using that and having smart goals really does help me. Even though years before when I had to create smart goals, I was like, why am I doing this? This is so silly. But it actually really helps me a lot. So I'm, I'm really happy that my manager helps do that for me. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money, downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That's www.honeybadger.io. One of the things that I'm really interested in, especially with this show and the coding with Chris, is the community building stuff. Interested in how that works and how we build community. And the conferences are a good way to do that. It gets people together, lets them get some face time. I think things like this help because we can have conversations with people in real time. And I know for me, I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool people like you and Andrew and all kinds of other guests that we've had on here and just learned a lot about the community. And I think if we're doing things like that, the people who are in the community are putting forth these opportunities for these new career folks to be involved in the community. That helps them to network into jobs much easier. So how do you feel about 
what you're doing to help the community building? I mean, I think I'm helping. What I would like to have more of is maybe more of me being able to communicate with people who want that. Like if I could chat more with my listeners, which I'm very thankful for of having listeners. So I remember when I first started this, I told Andrew, if we don't have any listeners, at least you're helping one person, which was me. So hopefully it's helping other people, but it would be great if you are listening and you want to chat, like I'm available and happy to do so. I'm hoping that through my efforts and your efforts with the two shows that you do, do you have more? Cause I feel like <laughs> right now the two is all I can handle, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like these things that we're doing hopefully is helping with the community and making new people feel welcome. So what's a good way to reach out to you if people do want to reach out? If your listeners want to say, hey, Julie, I want to talk to you. How do they do that? I am still on Twitter at Code with Julie. I have been more active on the Ruby for All Twitter. So at Ruby for All. And feel like I need to figure out where, because Twitter has felt kind of different lately. Not sure where you all are if you're on social media, but if Mastodon is taken off or some other place, but yeah, it took me so long to get into Twitter. Then Mastodon <laughs> happened and I'm like, I just can't, I don't have the brain space to learn that too. <laughs> it's lucky to get me on Twitter at all doing anything here. <laughs> Getting back to the community stuff. One of the things that I've been trying to figure out how to push for, because not only do I enjoy it, but I see a lot of communal benefit in it is trying to get more people to do live shows like this because you have the opportunity to talk in real time with the audience and interact more and build more community. But it seems to be that when I've offered to help people, just reach out to me, I'll help you. I'll help you set up the stuff. I'll help you figure out the technology. I'll help you get it going. I'll come on your show and, and be there with you so you don't have to do it alone, whatever you need. But there seems to be a resistance to live broadcasting in the dev community. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas as to why that might be. Is it maybe a nerves thing? Is it a time thing? Is it a, cause I will say, Hey, I've got to be here every Thursday at 3 PM is a bit daunting some weeks, but it seems like there would be more than just me that wants to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder if it's different factors of all those things, but also if someone were to put out effort and time to do this, would they think that people won't show up? Like, is it a fear of failure type of thing? I don't know. I know Brandon Weaver was for a while meeting weekly and going through different books and code Jason Sweat is also doing a meetup, I think weekly as well, maybe twice a week. I mean, I would love more live code streaming type yeah, as opposed to like talk show things like this, more actual yeah. hands-on keyboard coding. Yeah, like what you're doing, your other show. I mean, I don't want to do that just because that would be more for sure. time for yeah. me personally, but I do like that. But I can see that there's folks that are watching right now and they can ask questions or mm -hmm. just interact with us. And that's really cool. Yeah. So Rebuilt says... I'm mentoring two devs who don't know Ruby or Rails. I've given them a few learning resources, but it feels more scattered than other languages. 
I've suggested the pickaxe book in combination with the Odin project of the many resources available, which, yeah, there are a lot. It can be confusing. What is the best way to learn Ruby? Are they new to programming? Or just new to Ruby on Rails? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I kind of started from scratch and went through Codecademy's course and also went through bootcamp. And I think that was really helpful. But for somebody new... I'll throw my two cents in. I mean, I think working on a project, either your own project that you've come up with or some project that some organization or something has given you to say, I'm going to create something real. So create something real, no matter how small it is. That's personally, I think that's the best way to learn because you can pick up all sorts of books and you can play around with them. But where the rubber meets the road is actually making something that is real that you can put out there as open source or put out there as a little web service or something. I mean, that's my opinion of how you really learn how to do something because you've actually created something that's real. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I agree. I never was much of a book learner. I was more of a put my hands on the keyboard and see what I can break kind of learner. Though I I do the books, I go through the books (laughs) while I'm building the thing. But yeah, just reading the books, yeah, it doesn't get you that far. I will say that I do highly recommend, though, Wise Poignant Guide. That is a fantastic book for Ruby. So if they're very new, even programming, but Ruby in particular, that's an extraordinarily good book because it's actually fun to read. It's not just dry programming stuff. How do you spell that? I think it's underscore W-H-Y. Why the lucky stiff? Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of chat. Okay. Matthias says, you need to understand first what works for you. I learn Ruby with books for other works, better video courses. Yeah. And that's a big point that we've talked about a lot on the show is different people learn different ways. And Julie, when you were talking earlier about the things you needed from seniors and how they could help you progress in your career, you were talking about, this is how I learn. This is how I accomplish things. And I think that's a really good point is that if you want to mentor somebody or if you're trying to help people develop their careers, you need to understand at least the basics of how that person thinks and how they learn because everybody's different. And so if I was going to mentor person A, I may need to teach them one way to get maximum effectiveness for them, but that may not work at all for person B. So I need to take the time to understand those people and how they think. So what kind of challenges have you had being a mentor trying to help people learn this stuff and help them develop? Yeah, while you're talking about how different people learn differently, I don't think I've actually taken that into consideration as I began my mentoring journey. One of my mentees actually brings the agenda to the meeting every time we meet. So she knows what she needs for me. And that works really well for me personally, because I don't have to think about it too hard. So what I think I would like to do is also ask folks if they are to be given feedback, how would they like to receive it? Because some people might, on the topic of making sure that your mentee is comfortable Some people might prefer feedback that is sugar-coated or sandwiched between nice things. And other people just want to get it right out there and don't sugarcoat it at all. And I think that knowing how they want to receive feedback might be helpful as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Wow, it is already time. It's been a fun, wide-ranging conversation. 
we're going to have to get you back on here in another six months or so and, and follow up on this. <laughs> Chat, thank you very much for being here. Julie, thank you very much for being here. I really do enjoy talking to you, whether you. on the show or so Twitter, whatever. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always been a blast two times now, and I'm happy to come on again at some point, and I'll still probably be just as nervous, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I will, too. So if you enjoyed this, Please do like, subscribe, follow, depending on whether you're on YouTube or Twitch, because we're both places. We are here every Thursday at 3 p.m. with our talk show and every Tuesday at 3 p.m. for my coding. And we try to have guests here almost every week because otherwise it's just me and Creston talking and we're both boring people. So nobody wants to listen to that. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show. Come to rubberduckdevshow.com. Sign up for our really awesome newsletter that lets you know that we've released an episode. We won't spam you, we promise, because we hate that crap. Anyway, we will see you next time. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming. <laughs>